Science and the Bible. Are they in conflict? Has science disproven God? This is Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukerin, and today Pat is going to explore some of the scientific issues when it comes to God. I think we can be kind of intimidated by the whole subject of evolution. Right, you know, and, and there is a natural bias in the scientific community. You know, a Chinese scientist named Paul Chan coming to America made a very astute observation. He said, you know, in China, we cannot criticize the government, but we always criticize Darwinian evolution. He said, here in America, we can criticize the government, but we cannot touch uh, Darwin's theory of evolution. In other words, you, you can criticize the government, but you can't criticize Darwin's theory of evolution. Yeah. Right, right. And, and that's one of the things that we're working up against. But, you know, in understanding and really seeing through the arguments of Darwinian evolution, as Philip Johnson writes in his book, Defeating Darwinism, detecting the baloney arguments in Darwinian evolution, really doesn't take a scientific mind, just a good critical thinker that's willing to look at the evidence and think through the issues can really see the flaws and major problems in Darwin's theory of evolution. And you don't really, have to have a PhD, in other words. Right, yeah. right. Uh, some of the arguments are very simple. If you know what you're doing in this whole field and looking at it from a thinking, critical, rational perspective, you can see the major flaws in that. Really, it's a theory that's in crisis. It, there really isn't the evidence that supports Darwin's theory of evolution. Well, as Philip Johnson points out, though, that it is the orthodoxy in the scientific community, and they don't want you to mess with their view that they hold very strongly. Right, and for uh, any young student or any person out there uh, who's going into the sciences, that's something you've got to understand, and that if you are going to uh, really criticize Darwin or hold to any kind of intelligent design theory. Really, you got to be ready for the criticism that you're going to face up there. But then, you know, that's what Jesus said, you know, that we would be in the minority to be ready for uh, persecution. Uh, he faced it, and so we'll face it in whatever realm of culture we go against that really has their mind set against the knowledge of God. Pat, it seems to me that if uh, Darwin's theory of macroevolution is so strong that scientists wouldn't mind it being critiqued. I guess an example would be, uh, I believe that the Earth is round, and it wouldn't bother me a bit if you tried to prove that it wasn't, because if it's not round... I want to know about it, you know, kind of a thing. Right, but, exactly. But, but not in when mm -hmm. it comes to evolution. It's like, no, don't you, don't you even question it? Who are you to question this? Da da da. da. So there's really a, a, a guarded uh, protectionist mentality. Right, you know, and a lot of the uh, arguments used to defend uh, Darwinian evolution, a lot of scientists and uh, philosophers will come up with different terms and just throw a lot of complex terms at you. But really, if you just break it down and you look behind all the terms and the philosophies around it, you just break it down to its core, you'll discover really it's not a very difficult uh, theory to critique and really see the major flaws in uh, Darwinian evolution. And some of the things we're going to talk about would really help a student or anyone uh, going into 
this area to really see that it's it's a theory in crisis with a lot of major problems. Well, let's talk about uh, then some of the basic principles we need to understand in critiquing Darwinian evolution. Yeah, well, first thing we've got to understand, Kevin, is is the terms. You know, um, many define evolution as simply change over time. Now, if that's the definition of Darwinian evolution, then we're all evolutionists. We all believe in change over time. But really, when it comes to Darwinian evolution, there's two terms we've got to understand. Microevolution and macroevolution. Microevolution refers to minor variations that occur in a species or population over time. You know, a good example is uh, dogs. You know, we can crossbreed different dogs and there we can breed different types of dogs. That's change in a species. That's a form of microevolution. And we all hold to that. We all believe in that. The other one is macroevolution. That refers to the emergence of major innovations or the unguided development of new structures like wings, you know, new organs like lungs and body plants like origins of insects and birds, which includes changes above the species level, introducing new phyla or classes, macroevolution. And that's what Darwinian evolution has got to prove, that, that uh, through uh, mutations and time and natural selection, we can create macroevolution. Now, what happens in the teaching of Darwinian evolution is that these terms are often confused or just thrown together and used interchangeably without uh, the student knowing which one is being referred to. So often they will say, look at how dogs can uh, breed and we come up with different types of dogs. There is proof for Darwinian evolution. Mm. Well, no, you, you've just shown microevolution, something we all know is true. You've got to be able to show macroevolution, that these dogs can change into a different kind of species. So microevolution, an example of that would be uh, a, a bird. A finch's beak may be a little shorter, a little longer, according to you know the, the weather and seasonal uh, and food supply and and so forth and so there may be some variation in the the beak of the bird but macroevolution is that bird becoming a bat right <laughs> or a cow becoming a whale right right you've got to show that uh, you can go from one species create major mutations that are beneficial and create a different kind of species that's macroevolution and that's what darwinian evolution has got to prove and the evidence isn't there for uh, macroevolution. So that's one of the really key terms you've got to define. Evolution is not simply change over time. That's not what they're saying here. Evolution, Darwinian evolution has got to prove the case of macroevolution, that you can change from one species to another and not use uh, microevolution as your proof. We all hold to microevolution. We know that's true. You've got to be able to show macroevolution can take place. Right. Okay. What are some other uh, basic principles we need to understand? Uh, well, also, uh, understanding evolution. I've got many Christians who say, well, I can believe in evolution and still be, still hold to the Bible as literally the Word of God. Well, evolution is the belief that an undirected 
mechanistic process, primarily random mutations and natural selection, can account for all the diverse and complex living organisms that exist. And uh, Darwin and evolution insist that there is no long-range plan or purpose in the history of life, that changes happen without any intent. That's Darwinian evolution. It takes God out of the pictures, an unguided, undirected, mechanistic process. And if you take the Bible literally, you will discover that God is not passively involved in the universe. He is directly and personally and intricately involved in creation and in the universe. So uh, for someone who says, I, I take the Bible literally, it's really impossible to hold to the definition of Darwinian evolution. Yeah, because it is that it is impersonal, undirected, uh, not intelligent, because there's no intelligence behind it. Right. And, you and know, so that, that has yeah. ramifications for the existence of God and the truth of Christianity. Exactly. You know, and the final one is uh, intelligent design. It's the belief that Earth and biological life owe their existence to a purposeful, intelligent creator. And uh, whether we hold to old Earth creation or young Earth creation, you know, that shouldn't be an issue that divides Christians who hold to intelligent design. Intelligent design simply means that the universe is here as the result of an intelligent designer and that all of creation points to a creator. So those are some important terms we've got to understand uh, when we critique Darwinian evolution. There are a lot of political ramifications as far as jockeying for position. The Darwinian evolutionist, the naturalist, and uh, in, in large part the atheist do not want intelligent design introduced into the educational system. Right. So they're going to rail against it because they disagree with the philosophy and the philosophical ramifications of intelligent design. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, we've, we've had several scientists uh, here on this show who have stated that case. A uh, good example is the debate on the uh, biology curriculum to be introduced in the public schools here in Texas. A fierce debate, a lot of personal attacks and just the meanness uh, on the side of those who desperately are holding on to evolution being taught without introducing the flaws of evolution uh, is just being fought in the Texas uh, public school system yeah, and those of intelligent design that just want to introduce the flaws, yeah. uh, the errors in evolution, which is good science. You want to look at both sides. Uh, it's vehemently uh, being defended by those who hold to the naturalist worldview. Again, truth dares to be questioned. What are you hanging on to so hard? Uh, you know, let's see if it holds up under scrutiny, you know. Right, and that's, that's good science. You know, that's, that's what education is all about. Well, this is fascinating, and you've already broken it down for us, Pat, uh, to where uh, we're not so intimidated by the whole thing. Do you recommend uh, some resources that we can read? Now, probe.org definitely has some. Right, those articles are a great place to start for uh, many non-scientists uh, who are not familiar with the arguments. It's got some real easy articles to understand there. And then there's four books that are just a must. Uh, Philip Johnson, uh, Darwin on Trial is a great one to start with. 
Another good one is a scientist we've had here on the show, Jonathan Wells, Icons of Evolution. That's another great book. And then another one, Intelligent Design by Bill Dembski. And the one that is really uh, hitting at the heart of the evolutionist is Michael Behe's Darwin's Black Box. We're talking about evolution, and we're, uh, in fact, defining what evolution means and what it doesn't mean. And uh, the fact that uh, when we critique Darwinian evolution, there are just a few basic principles that we need to understand. Uh, One of the things we need to understand that... uh, uh, there are some major problems in Darwinian evolution, and Dar- Darwinists don't want you to know these. They really are hanging on, as we said, with, with both hands to their view, and they don't want it critiqued. And that's for political, personal, and philosophical reasons, I think, Pat. But what are some of the major problems in Darwinian evolution? Well, understand, you know, that the problems that we point out are major, you know, unless they are resolved it really, Darwinian evolution, that theory really falls apart. You know, and the first one is that really Darwinian evolution lacks the mechanism for change. For years, many have been stating natural selection and mutations are the mechanism in which macroevolution could take place. However, what we're discovering is that natural selection is not a mechanism for change. Uh, natural selection actually preserves a species. You know, the noted example given often is the peppered moth. You know, uh, the white moths survived on the trees and the dark moths were picked off. Well, when the Industrial Revolution came and soot got on the trees, the black moth survives and the white moths were picked off. There is natural selection showing evolution. Well, you haven't produced a different species. You know, you still got the same species. You got a moth, whether it's dark or it's white. Natural selection has not shown that uh, you can create a new species. Another one I is... I hadn't thought about that. Right. <laughs> natural, right. natural selection, long touted to be the mechanism for evolution, uh, actually preserves species and it doesn't change them. Right. Exactly. Wow. Okay. You know, the next one is mutations. You know, mutations occur creating small variations in species, and eventually uh, what they're saying is these small mutations created a different species. Well, our studies in microbiology has shown that the gene pool has limits for variation. An example of that is the breeding of dogs. I mean, you can only make so many changes in the gene pool of dogs, and then you begin producing dogs that are uh, very weak in health. And so within a species, there are limits to um, genetic variations that can, can occur. Also... Now, mutations are of lesser quality right. than, than the original. So right. Like. Also, um, 99% of the mutations that occur are not beneficial out oh, there. They oh. do not help a species survive. Okay. Yet in evolution... What we're saying is that an enormous amount of mutations occurred, all being beneficial within a short period of time, creating some kind of new species. You know, that would go against the scientific uh, evidence that we have learned. Um, Genetic Mm -hmm. mutations have a limit within a species, and the vast majority uh, are not beneficial. So to say, you know, a horse 
eventually mutated into a giraffe. I mean, you're talking about thousands, probably millions of mutations that occurred within a short period of time, all being beneficial somehow, you know, creating this new species, this, well, that's this giraffe. The, and that's the opposite of what we observe. Mutations are, are generally not beneficial. Right. Now, yeah. mutations can cause small changes, but we must prove that they can create large changes. You know, macro evolution. A famous uh, experiment, you know, we talked about is the fruit fly experiment, where fruit flies were zapped with radiation, and we got fruit flies with big eyes, fruit flies with crumpled wings, fruit flies with multiple wings, fruit flies with legs, fruit flies with no legs, and uh, different variations of fruit flies existed, and there Darwinists say, aha, you see, here's proof for Darwinian evolution. No, you haven't created a new species. You just created different kinds of fruit flies, but you haven't created a new species, and that's what natural selection and uh, mutations have got to show that over time you can create a new species and these two are not mechanisms to create any kind of macro evolution kind of change in, in species. So there's one of the major flaws there. I see something else here in both uh, the breeding of dogs and also bombarding fruit flies with uh, radiation and that is there's intelligent intervention in both of those processes. It right. takes intelligence to do dog breeding, and it also took uh, intelligence to do these fruit fly experiments. So, Right, you know, and in the Genesis account, it says that God created uh, each of these creatures according to their kind. And so, really, an intelligent designer was behind creating uh, each one of these species in their own kind, which, you know, leads us to the second flaw, is that of the fossil record. Uh, Darwin wrote in his works that it was absolutely key and that his theory would hang on the discovery of transitional forms. And he anticipated that as um, archaeology uh, got more complex and sophisticated that numerous thousands of transitional forms would be discovered. If not, then his theory would really fall apart. And we have uh, developed tremendously sophisticated equipment. I mean, we've done as much digging as we're going to do. And we lack the fossil record of transitional forms. You know, for example, you know, uh, many believe that the rat eventually evolved into the bat. Well, we should be finding thousands of transitional forms. Rats with uh, quarter-length wings. Rats with wings, you know, half the length needed, then three-quarters the length, and then, you know, from rat to bat. So we should be finding all these transitional forms. All these rat-bat-looking creatures. Right. And they're not there. And they're not there. What you see is a full rat and then a full bat, you know, and all these transitional forms are missing. And also, you got to bring into account natural selection, you know. How does a rat with a quarter-length you know, set of wings, how does that help him survive in the wild? Well, you know, they're too short, it won't help him fly, but they're too long to make him as mobile as he needs to be to survive on the ground. He'd have trouble grasping and running because he's got, yeah, he's got a half wing, half a limb, and something would eat him. He couldn't right. get away. Right, so even those mutations are not beneficial. 
And so we're missing these transitional forms. There are a few that appear, very few, and many naturalists tout this as proof of transitional forms. But there are very few, very few and far between. They're making huge leaps. Um, a good example is Archaeopteryx, you know, this uh, reptile. It is, you know, uh, paleontologists have trouble saying, is this a reptile or is this a bird? You know, it's got scales, but it's also got feathers and, and some wings. So what is this? And, and when they see it, they say, aha, there you go, transitional form. This shows the evolutionary process proving Darwinian evolution true. Well, not really. You know, Archaeopteryx, kind of like the platypus, it's, it's kind of an anomaly. But you're making a huge leap saying, from a reptile, you're missing a whole bunch of steps that lead up to Archaeopteryx. And then from Archaeopteryx to becoming a full bird, you're missing a whole bunch of transitional forms in the fossil record as well. Still, I mean, boy, even if you find one or two things that look like a transitional fossil, uh, Pat, we ought to be finding thousands. Exactly. We really should, and we're yeah. not, and we haven't, and we've been digging since Darwin. We've been right. digging for these in all the sites in the world, and they're still digging. Right, right, and and should have found them by now. Right, I don't care if we dig from now on, we we should have found them by now. Yeah, and if you know mutations occur in a species that are real microscopic at first, and then over thousands of years, these mutations get greater and greater and greater. Therefore, th we should, as you said, Kevin, you're exactly right. We should be finding thousands of these transitional forms. The fact that we're struggling to find just a few, boy, that puts a major flaw in Darwinian evolution. You know, another one uh, in regards to the fossil record is the Cambrian explosion. Some 600 million years ago, all the phyla suddenly appear, you know, at the highest level of biological hierarchy, uh, they appear right at the start of the Cambrian explosion. There's not this uh, common descent or descent from one ancestor with all these transitional forms kind of forming like a tree. It's just it's according to um, geologists, you know, the Cambrian explosion occurred 600 million years ago and all the phyla, boom, they exist, you know, in their highest form. And that's Really an embarrassing point to Darwinian evolution. Yeah, there's all these species fully formed during the Cambrian period. Right. There, there they are. Right. You know, another popular one we see is the evolution of man going from ape to human. And we ought to be finding thousands, thousands of transitional forms, uh, half human, half ape and all that. But we're not finding many. And the few that we find are not conclusive. You know, for example... Piltdown man was once thought to be that transitional form, uh, but really it was a human skull created uh, from a combination of an orangutan's jaw mm. and the top of a human skull. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think that this issue is not affecting our culture and our educational systems, then uh, you're, you've been living in a cave for a long time. We need to contend earnestly for the faith. Jude verse 3 says that, and that is exactly what Pat Zuccaran is doing, and he needs your support. He needs your prayer and your financial support to continue. Pat speaks all over the country, and it gets expensive, and it's expensive to put this show on and to give evidence and answers. Please support him prayerfully and financially.
We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. There's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just $2.50 on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want, and we've got some of the top scholars on there. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org.